0: Welcome to Fusion Student Ministries. We hope this message equips and encourages you.
1: We are kind of wrapping up our testimony series we have tonight and next week. Um, But tonight we're going to hear from James Monte first. So James, you can come on up, man.
2: All right. So last time I did this, I was really shaky and nervous and so this time I'm going to try not to be shaking and nervous. And Jonathan, I'm probably going to be looking at you the entire time. So uh, so I guess I'll start out from when I got saved. Um, I got saved in an IHOP restaurant. Um, I was about four, and I was sitting in the booth with my family, and I asked my dad what salvation was and what it meant to be saved. So I gave my life to Christ, and I don't really know what that I didn't know what it meant, um, but I did it. I was raised in a church, and I was probably born on the front pew. I'm a church kid, and so um, everything was religion to me. Everything was based on you do this, 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 and this, and you don't question it. Since I was very young, I always loved serving in the church. Um, I remember Wednesday nights when I was four or five, I would get out of Royal Rangers, and I would run to the main sanctuary to help Brother Francis. He was a head usher at the time. And, uh, do y'all remember like the time whenever they had the, like, like burgundy ropes, roping off the section of the pews? That was my job on Wednesday nights. I'll go pick up those ropes and I'll be like, go and get them and like shoving them in the boxes underneath the pews. And, uh, brother Francis would like see people picking them up. He's like, no, 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 no. I have my little guy that does that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And so he'd tell him to put them back. And so he knew that every time I'd go, I'd be his little helper and I'd help him out. And, uh, <laughs> Even to this day, he's still, he's still like, thanks, my little buddy. You're my little helper. Thank you. Uh, little did I know at that time of serving him that it taught me faithfulness and responsibility. It taught me to stick to my word. Um, sure, I probably been not want to be tossing the football with my friends and whatnot, but I had the most important job on church. I had to pick up the ropes. And uh, I was so sad when the pastor decided to stop using those ropes it was like a big part of my life. It was like the main reason why I was at church. It's like, I need to pick up those ropes, man. And I think that's honestly one of the main reasons, just the ropes itself, why I want to become an usher. And so um, I still think that an usher is still one of the most important jobs on the campus. I liked ushering. I quit because I didn't have time. Um, Brother Francis was a mentor to me in that part of my life. He would always encourage me and affirm me, like, good job, my little buddy. Thank you so much. Um, He probably didn't even think that such a small task could make such a large impact on somebody's life. I do believe that this is where my servant's heart was kindled. Um, One thing I've learned is that you don't have to be in a significant role, a special position, or work under a pastor or a leader to be mentored. You just have to have the right heart and the right motive. I remember the thing I moved on to after my rope days was family Life, uh, the school. It was just a school, but it didn't really have. There were never um, more opportunities to serve than at school. And Jonathan, you can, you know that. Um, he was what a grade older than me. Yeah. So like, I'll I'll know how you were about like doing small tasks that as they asked, but for me, it was like a way to get out of class. I'd be like. Yeah, I'll come I'll come shoot a video for you or like yeah, I'll come I'll come move some chairs for you. Just give me out a history class. <laughs> they never have enough paid personnel to get the job done, so everyone needs volunteers. They saw that I like to serve and they let me serve. I was what you call a teacher's pet. I was always asking the teachers what I could do for them to the point to where they probably got very annoyed. <laughs> I was happy though, I got to serve. That's all that mattered. They, they had these job wheels. You get, the school that y'all went to, if y'all were either like public school or private, do y'all have job wheels in y'all's class? Where like you turn the dial and you get a job? Like, Michaela, do you do that for your class? Yeah. So I was excited about that. That made me excited. That was probably one of the things I liked going to school about. I know, I'm weird. <laughs> that was exciting to me. Even up to eighth grade, I loved those job wheels. It gave me something to do. When I was eight years old, I lost my closest friend. Uh, my buddy, my mentor, his name was Matthew, my older brother. He left the house at 18. Um, he left on bad terms, and I was pretty hurt. I felt abandoned, not cared for. And since I was eight, I'd been longing for a brotherly relationship, someone that I could have fun with, someone who could teach me, and just be a sibling, someone who I can confide in, feel safe. finding I tried finding that in the wrong people. I let myself get close to people and then all of a sudden just reabandoned all over again. FLCA is what really grew me into the person I am today. They brought the God-given God-giving gifts that I had, they brought those out in me. In fourth grade, I got the gift of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Miss Michelle Miller and Miss Michelle Skrika, those are the fourth grade teachers. I see you laughing, Jonathan. They were some of the more strict teachers in the entire school, but they definitely put God first in everything they did. Um, something that changed, something changed my life that year. I felt that my spiritual man was awakened. Um, there was a lot of difference makers in my life that came from fem life, and I'm thankful for all of them. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That was one of Miss Sarah Aloysio's favorite scriptures, and she lived by that. And I can testify that this is how she ran her school, and I'm a product of that. FLCA set the core values for my life. They taught me right from wrong in a biblical standpoint. Sure, I think some of the rules were dumb, useless, and I still obeyed them to an extent. Um, but I believe obedience is a key to making the foundations being set by your mentors and leaders stay firm. During the time at FLCA is where I got into the sound booth. Um, in sixth grade, I started running sound um, in the school chapels. Do y'all remember Brad Anderson, the old worship leader? He was he was my buddy. I loved Brad. He was um, he was a worship leader at the time. He was a very big influence in my life. He let me serve in many different capacities: sound person, media person, percussionist, vocalist, tire washer. Every year we do a single ladies tire change, oil, oil change and car wash, not tire change, stumbling on my words. Brad would lead the car washing station, and I was tire washer. Um, so I don't know why, but this was another job that I took seriously every single year. I would, like, get the buckets ready, put the water, put the soap, and then get the sponge ready, and I will just go around and do the tires. Every car that rolled up, I was a tire man. So that was fun. We should do that. You should bring that up in a management meeting. So this was another instance that this leader probably didn't know that such a simple job meant the world to me. I felt trusted and needed. I felt like I had a purpose.
1: <coughs>
2: Sorry about that. I felt like I had a purpose. Bragg was like an older brother to me. He always pushed me to try new things, but he was there guiding me along the way. I believe in this time of my life I was taught to trust my leadership. Then Brad left the church. It was on good terms, but he was my friend, my leader. I felt close to him, and he left, and that brought up the hurt from my eight-year-old self. Um, it was about this time in sixth or seventh grade when my parents opened up our home to a couple that was homeless. Uh, we took them in. We helped them get on their feet. They started coming to church. To they of Christ, you know, whole nine yards and all that. Um, the guy who was in our home, he was about seven years older than me. He treated me like a little brother, and it was like uh, kind of like another one of those instances where I like decided to trust him as a brother figure, and I didn't even know him for more than a year. So I let him speak into my life the very wrong things that you don't want spoken into your life. Like it was absolutely terrible. Like he would tell me the stories of like whenever he was younger, like going like rob houses and like steal cars, short riding. I'm like. I looked up to this guy. I was like, yeah, he's so awesome. And like, he was he was buff. He was huge, like, probably benching like 250, 300. I'm like, dude, like, you're awesome. I was this big. So, some stuff went down. They left our house on bad terms, and I thought it was my fault. And in fact, they told me it was my fault. As they were leaving, they cursed me out. So, I was, what, 12? They cursed me out, told me it was my fault, and said, you know, this is your fault that this stuff is happening. I'm like, dang. So I fell into a depression, like brought on by like abandonment. So I had my brother who once started off the abandonment. Then I had Brad Anderson, which that wasn't his fault. He just left because he was tired. Um, And then this guy that I let into my life really close, and then he just like left and told me it was my fault. So it's, there's a long line of just abandonment issues. Um, When I was in 412, 412, my leader at the time was Chris Gumpert. Um, He was an awesome friend to me. Although he was my leader, he didn't portray himself as a leader, but as a friend. Um, I don't really remember what the conversation was on, but I was going through some stuff, probably depression. And one night I was able to talk to him and it was really awesome. Like he made me, he made himself open and available and he gave me some really good advice on how to handle the situation. This is the point where I kind of understood that people actually care about me and that some want to understand what I was going through. Um, I was only in middle school, so I was trying to get my bearing on life. When you're in middle school, everything is confusing. Everything's dumb. Or you think you're the best. It's either you're really, really stupid or you think you're really awesome, which makes you really stupid. So it's like <laughs> there's so much that's going on you don't even know. Um so, I was still trying to get my bearing in life. And at that point, I didn't have many close friends. I was actually bullied a lot in middle school. And I felt that no one cared about me. So, because of the bullying, I started to have a poor self image. I never thought there was anything good about me. Um, I actually thought uh, as myself um, as horrible, um, not being any help. And that's why I was stuck in the background of things. So that's kind of, I think that's why I got into the sound booth, because I was like, you know, I'm going to screw something up on stage. I'm just going to stay back here where you can screw more stuff up. (laughs) So I tried to serve my way into acceptance. I tried to feel, um, what was I going to say? I forgot what I was going to say. That sucks. Yeah, I tried to, there it is. I tried to serve my way into acceptance and why I find it really difficult to accept good feedback about myself or anything good about myself. Um, that's because I rooted my acceptance in my work. I didn't root my acceptance in what God tells me who I am. And so that's why I found it horrible <laughs> to think anything good, or like, I found it really hard to think anything good about myself. Even till today, I'm still struggling with poor self-image, but it's definitely not as bad as way it used to be. Um, if I were to pinpoint the exact moment I was taken out of my depression and found some freedom, it was probably at the end of my 7th grade year. <laughs> My dad. My dad saw that my grades were getting worse, and he didn't know what to do. Like he tried punishing me, he tried taking away stuff. Like he tried telling me I was going to end up like my brother, which didn't help at all. I'm like, "What do you want from me?" So he didn't know what to do. He came to his wits end, and he did everything he did. He tried everything, and then he called Pastor Brad's sons. If any of you know Pastor Brad, um, he passed away. How long ago, yeah it was a while back, so Pastor Brad stepped in, and that's when I got counseling and some help to process my thoughts. Um, he took me through the book Shadow Boxing um, and I believe that's Healing for the Masculine Soul, something like that. Um, so he took me through that book and really pinpointed the demons in my life that was making me depressed and suicidal and all that so how many of you remember Joseph Savoca? I love Joseph. That dude was a turning point in my life. If it were not for him, I'm fairly certain that I wouldn't be affiliated with Fusion, and I definitely wouldn't have the relationship I have with all the leaders. Joseph took me under his wing and really grew me spiritually, but not in the way of a pastor or a leader, but as a friend. This dude was one of my best friends, actually. I say it was because if you remember, to him he moved across the country and abandoned all of us. Yeah, that dude. <laughs> Uh, if you ever, have you ever depended upon someone as your spiritual renewal rather than depending upon God? Like you depend upon them to speak into your life rather than God? That's what he was to me. And uh, when he moved, I, I was like forced to rely on God for my spiritual renewal as it should be. So shortly after he moved away, I became a leader in Fusion. Um, I didn't know how to be a leader, but I know I wanted to serve and the atmosphere that helped me when I needed help. Um, And now I'm serving in 412, where I needed help when I was at that age. I didn't get the help I needed until later. So out of all the abandonment issues and all that, I don't think um, I really felt abandoned by Joseph. I felt almost like pushed to make progression in my spiritual life. And so I didn't really think of that as abandonment. I thought of it as growth. And then Pastor Brady. He has been one of the most influential people in my life. He taught me how to lead myself. You can't be an effective leader until you take the first step of action. Thank you, Pastor Brady, taking the time to invest in me. I'm nowhere near where I would be spiritually, but I'm nowhere near where I used to be. We're all constantly growing, and the bar is always getting raised. I don't think we're ever going to reach that bar until we're in glory. The overall part of my testimony was focused on knowing who you are, not by your works, not by your friends, not by your family. You are a child of God. You are chosen for a purpose. You are needed, you are wanted, you are loved. Your identity is in Christ.
1: All right, guys. Whew. Celeste, come on up. Come
0: on. All right. Hey, guys. Um, I thought I'd start this off just telling you a little bit about myself because I know most of y'all don't really know me besides being Blake's wife. So I was just gonna start this off for y'all. I uh grew up in New Orleans for seventeen years. For any of y'all that didn't know, didn't come to Lafayette till I came to college at UL. Um, and when I was in high school, I went to a private Catholic all-girl high school. And a lot of people think that that's like a boarding school or something. No, my parents did not ship me off. Um, it was a normal school, went to and from every day. But um, I did grow up Catholic, and I didn't really transition into more of a Assemblies of God, non-denominational, until I came to college at UL, and I started getting involved with Chi Alpha. And... You know, I don't really have anything against Catholicism. My whole family's still Catholic basically. But when I came to Chi Alpha, I started to just kind of find a more a deeper intimacy and start gaining more of a relationship with God um that I didn't have before. And so I graduated in visual arts with a concentration in painting in 2016, which means I've been out of college for 3 years. So that's a little scary. But um And clearly, I decided to stay in Lafayette after, did not go back home to New Orleans. Um, Just kind of felt like I had more of a community here that I lost when I kind of left and came here. So I'm going to kind of take you all back to high school. And as I was going there, I had these two best friends. You know, we were doing everything together, had lots of fun. Everything was good. One I'd known since my freshman year, I met there. Um, the other one I'd known, we'd gone to school all our lives together, but probably didn't start getting to know her till about fifth grade. So I probably knew her for about seven years. Um, and so then my junior year of high school, you know, we're all just being friends and everything's good. But one of them, the one that I knew since freshman year, kind of just starts pushing me away. We were getting really close, and I guess for her that just wasn't good. Um, And she really just kind of started ignoring me completely, not acknowledging my presence at all. And, you know, that kind of stuck with me, and it hurt. I talked to the other one about it, but in reality, where I thought maybe I was venting, I was probably putting her in the middle a little bit between that. And... So I guess she feels that and kind of feels like she needs to decide between one of us and basically tells me a lot of things you really shouldn't tell anyone, especially if you've been friends with them for seven years of your life. And I don't really remember a whole lot of it, but I remember the feeling of it. And the one thing that really stuck with me was she told me that she didn't feel a connection to me. And that really hurt pretty deeply for me. It messed with my head. And I really let that speak into my life because didn't really know what else to do or any different. She was my friend for seven years at this point. Um, And so, you know, I really turned on myself and took that on like, well, do, can I not connect to people? You know, what's wrong with me? And that really even gave me a lot of trust issues with people. And you know, they're just going to leave. They're not going to care. Even after this long, what's going to keep them sticking around? I can't connect to anyone. So I hold on to that for a while. And I'm just going to kind of take you all through a little bit of the process of healing I went through with that. Um, so we're going to jump on over. Now I'm in college, sophomore year, four years later from when that kind of happened. Um and funny story one day I don't know what I was doing probably trying to get to homework and I'm just popping up some pop tarts toasting them up and it was my last pack burned them to a crisp and y'all I lost my stuff I started busting out crying could not take it clearly wasn't about the Pop-Tarts, and there was a lot of other stuff going on, but I can actually say that I cried over Burned Pop-Tarts. And, you know, as I'm just doing this, a lot of times when I cry and stuff just starts coming out, and I'm talking to God and just crying out and stuff, and I'm kind of just hearing that through this, you know, making my friends in college and all whatnot think things are going well, but... I'm kind of starting to do what my friends did to me in high school to other people now and not really letting people get close to me and this kind of stuff. And in that moment, I remember hearing like, Celeste, your heart is hardened to the idea of friendship and couldn't really get past that. And I remember just praying to God, like, God, please just soften my heart, because it's like, I want friends. I don't want to be isolated and lonely the rest of my life. Um, And so that kind of moment happened. And from then on, I start growing a lot, learning more about myself, about how to be a real friend, the importance of that, and really how much effort that it actually takes. You know, I'm not in high school anymore where I see them every day at lunch, before and after school. One of them I would ride to school with every day and carpool. And it's like, now I might not have a single class with you ever my entire four years of college. But, you know, I might have mentioned in Alpha or something. And, like, that takes real effort to have to actually plan out and make someone important in your life. to get to know someone. And so, you know, I'm doing pretty well. But then my junior year hits and start kind of feeling lonely again. Some things come up with my friendships. um, And I'm starting to feel like I'm getting back into that. And, you know, I like, I kind of feel like God likes to heal in layers. And so like, we dealt a little bit with that. But now things are starting to come up again. Um, And I realized that I was still holding on how they treated me and like at this point we're about six years in since this first even happened and like that's a long time to hold on to something but I didn't even realize that I was um but it just holding on to all that pain and hurt and you know I kind of felt like I related a lot to that lady in the bible who had been bleeding for 12 years um You know, basically, she's bleeding, so no one's going to want to touch her. She's probably deemed uncleaned by their culture, like saying, okay, you can stay in this tent over here for 12 years. We're not going to come near you. You know, treated like a leper, basically, just because she's bleeding. And, you know, to where that's basically all of her identity for 12 years, just lonely and outcasted. And I kind of felt the same way, that this pain had really become basically all of me. I was just like consumed with it, walking pain. Um, And so it's like, we all know you're supposed to give your pain to God and surrender and all that good stuff. But I really didn't know how. And I knew I should, but I didn't want to. And there was one day that I was sitting alone in my room and I finally kind of realized and say out loud to God, like, You know, I'm actually, I think I'm afraid to let go of my pain. I like, I don't want to, if the pain has completely consumed me and that's all that I am. If I give you my pain, then I'm not going to have anything left of me and I'm going to be left empty. And then, but God just like so gently and so sweetly came in and was just like, Celeste, I'm not going to leave you empty. I'm going to fill you back up. And that just lifted me out of so much pain right then and there, and it was in that season of my life he definitely filled me up with unconditional love, his peace, his grace, and you know it didn't all happen a lot happened in that moment. I think a lot of healing happened, but it wasn't it was still a process of gaining freedom and really letting go of that stuff um you know, I had a friend. Talk to me about, had this analogy that it's like knowledge is kind of like tilling up the ground. It's a lot of work to gain knowledge in this and that. And then grace is kind of like the seed that gets planted. And then the flower that comes up is the understanding of it. And for me, that knowledge was knowing that my heart was hardened to this. And I had to do a lot of work to get out of that, to build relationships, to build friendships, And then that grace was kind of that moment where God planted that. He would fill me up. You can surrender. You know, I'm going to be there for you. And But then came kind of the understanding of really being able to be free from this, of what was going on. You know, I was reading a book maybe a few months after that moment, alone in my bed. And um, he was just kind of, the book was saying to like, invite God into your past and things like that. And a lot more has happened besides just these two who've hurt me. I've been had had a lot of hurts through friends just most of my life. And um I kinda just he just showed me that some of these underlying issues that they probably had um that I didn't really see at the time. I didn't know how to even handle my own emotions. So you know one of them I know was like depressed and They couldn't even take care of their own emotions, so how are they supposed to take care of mine? And this full kind of understanding came around of, like, we're all learning. We were in high school. We didn't know any better. And I just gained that understanding was able to actually show compassion for them that, you know, it's fine. You know, I'm okay. I hope they are, like, and I could finally get over it. And so just kind of to bring it back to that bleeding woman, um... After she touched Jesus and got her healing, Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And that very first thing he says is daughter. He didn't call her outcast. He didn't say hemorrhaging woman. He didn't say unclean. He called her daughter and just gave her a new identity very first right there. He filled her up and gave her healing, and he freed her from her suffering. And he did that for me, and I believe he can do that for you. Thank you, girl.
1: Well, guys, that's awesome. Would you guys stand? Um, last week, I don't know if you picked up on this, but like last week there was a theme, and then man, like this week there's a theme. And I was just taking notes while both were speaking, and um. James said something about uh, the burden of someone else to grow him or to meet certain needs. And I think that I've been there. I think that we've all been there. Uh, I still get there from time to time, and I think everybody else can too. And I think one of the points that he made about that was, man, a lot of times it's easy to put the burden on our personal growth or on certain needs on other people when, in fact. It should be placed on the Lord. Um, James said something that uh, I took a note on that said, and I'm I'm paraphrasing this. He said, you don't have to be under maybe a popular person, a prominent leader to be mentored. You just have to have the right heart. I'm going to add to that. I find that when we have the right heart, those people find you. And so I want to pray into that. I want to, like we... Like we did earlier, search my heart, oh God, see if there's any way in me. The other part, uh, the other theme was something that Celeste said. She said, "Holding on to hurt." Uh, she she kind of, and again, I'm paraphrasing here, but it made me it made me question what she said what she said about how long she'd held on to hurt and how God convicted her about that. Was it made me question? I wonder how many of us have areas in our life that we've built an identity based on a hurt in our past, or maybe built an identity based on what somebody else said about us that's hurtful, or maybe something we didn't get growing up that's hurtful. And so let's just take a, a real quick moment. If you would just, just kind of close your eyes and just to, just to process with no distractions.
2: And let's, just, let's
1: just take a moment to respond to these testimonies. So the word of God says that you overcome by the blood of the lamb and the power of your testimony. I believe that when people share a testimony, that there's a there's a special grace released in that moment because the person sharing isn't talking about an opinion. They're talking about an experience. And so in the presence of that experience, Lord, we just ask you right now, is there an area in our heart talking about growth and Something that James shared with us, is there an area of our heart that you want to check? Lord, we just open ourselves to you right now. Search us, O God, and see if there's any way in us, like we did at the beginning of service. Lord, is our growth being stifled by a wrong heart? David was constantly mistreated in the Bible. He was constantly kicked to the curve but God chose him. Job was constantly mistreated. Tons of misfortune came on him and the Bible says he never accused God. These two men of character right here, God. Does our heart match those hearts? Or is our heart the opposite of that? Show us right now, Holy Spirit. Convict us. Lord, your word says that you resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. Lord, we all need your grace. I need your grace, Lord. And then the other thing, God, is there any way in our hearts that we formed an identity based on a hurt or a bitter root or unforgiveness? Lord, have, have we become that in any area of our life? Father, I know sometimes I'll see certain people, all they ever have to do, all they ever do is complain. And I think, If they never had a problem, who would that person be? Have we become that in any area? Lord, we just ask you to reveal that right now. Any false identity, God, I pray that you would just break that off. We just lay ourselves before you bare, Lord. If there's any false identity in us that's built on something else, highlight that. We want to give that to you. We don't want to leave here tonight with that still there. I'm just gonna pray one more time over you guys. Holy Spirit, any work that you're doing tonight in any person here, Lord, we don't want it to be a finished work. We know that it's gonna be a progressive work. Lord, when we leave here tonight, we don't wanna just deal with this now if if they have more work to do. So Lord, we ask that you would continue to have your way in every person's heart. Lord, we know that salvation, we know that lordship, isn't just a raise of a hand one time. We know it's a daily walk with you, a relationship with you. And Lord, we wanna continue that relationship even as we leave tonight. And we pray all this in Jesus' name,
0: amen. Again, thanks for joining us. For more info on Fusion, you can check us out on Facebook or Instagram.